0: long before we even got close to thinking about what that was, um, but awesome. Uh, if there was one major takeaway that you'd want people to have today, what would it be?
1: I think it really is about when you're trying to build a startup, Focus on the business aspects more than on the sort of the technical and the product aspects. I think most of the founders I talk to are so into, you know, the nuts and bolts of what they're doing that they haven't looked at the bigger picture, how it fits in. And that's doubly true when they're thinking about fundraising. so true! All
0: right. Welcome in to Vision Pros Live with Jackson Callum. I'm your show host. We'll be doing interviews for visionary entrepreneurs and guest leaders who are building fantastic visions out there. Hey, what's up and welcome in vision pros. My name is Jackson Callum. I'm your host. So excited to have you on today. We have a wonderful guest named Lance Cottrell and Lance has a lot of experience in the startup world. He has had exits. He's still part of the board from one of his long-term exits. He has a whole lot of insight when it comes to entrepreneurship and business ownership. So if that's you, if you're one of those serial entrepreneurs or young startup entrepreneurs, um, and you're, or you're a seasoned entrepreneur, but looking to look over the shoulder of somebody who's been at this for several decades, and uh, you're in for a real treat today. Um, he's also an expert in, um, I almost said cryptocurrency, that's not the case it is cryptography, online privacy internet security we probably won't dive too deep into those aspects but the cool thing is if that's something that you need to know more about for the sake of protecting the vulnerability the privacy of your users then he's probably a fantastic person to reach out to and talk to about that as well so we'll talk a little bit more about his story before i bring him on stage but first off i want to i want to derail a little bit towards our sponsorship so iconmakerlive.com go check it out go see what the event was about icon maker has helped uh is helping icons launched their brands. We're talking about influencers. We're talking about the creator economy. We're talking about people who want to make a massive global impact while also building a seven-figure business. Check that out. There's Tom in the room. It was such a cool setup too, to work, uh, to, to be presenting on stage at uh, the studio called Sage in Charleston, South Carolina. But more importantly, there was 300 people who had tuned in online to figure out how do they launch a podcast successfully? How do you run a business? Tom Matson ran an amazing mastermind and Session after session after session. Him and Cheryl Pluff as well, both dove deep. Um, Danella ran an, an amazing event. I've never been part of a better event. And what's really cool is they had never run an event together themselves. It was the first time they all came together. So the fact that they pulled that off and then outdid. 50 plus events that I've been to um, and over 500, uh, I should say 50 plus conferences that I've been to and over 500 events that I've participated in like they're hands down. Amazing. So check out what's going on over at icon maker live and cap show C A P Sho.com. This is the number one uh, ranked content, AI content creator for podcasts by digitalmarketer.com And they go above and beyond that. So if you have any type of content, if you have, Any type of video or audio content that you have not repurposed yet, that you've not built what is often called in the content world, a digital waterfall or a content waterfall, then just take your episode or your file, upload it into capshow.com. They give you a couple of free credits with the affiliate link that we have. And you'll be able to click buttons to get social media posts generated and sound bites pulled from that as well. It's an amazing technology that can help you get your content um, ready to go. So you can just copy and paste that information right onto your social media platforms and get that distributed between tools like Go High Level, where they provide you a social planner to get these things scheduled, or Social Oomph which allows you to create evergreen content that gets reposted at random on on uh, sites like Twitter, you can take CapShow and that tool and for you know pretty much less than, I think it's less than a hundred bucks um, between the two. And you can take Opus as well on top of that. And you've got a phenomenal strategy to get your content out there without having to be plugged into it on a day-to-day basis. Um, that can be very helpful when you consider that the top of your funnel If you are in, if you are working on your marketing, understanding marketing, and you look at that funnel, there's the people who will buy from you at the bottom of the funnel. But at the top of the funnel, a lot of people forget the importance of the top row. The top row is distribution. You've gotta get your message in front of more people. The more people you get your message in front of, the more likely you're gonna come across what's called the low hanging fruit. That would be the 5% of your market who is ready to take action here and now. It's very important to get yourself in front of more people in order to be able to focus more on fulfilling with your business, doing business with people, rather than constantly trying to convince people to do business with you, not the not the best approach. Then last, and of course, not least, we've got the Water Project. Um, the Water Project is one of my favorite charities on earth. Um, please just, just consider going and giving five, 10, $15 to it. Uh, take a look at the projects that they have going on as well. Um, these kids, their families, their moms, their dads, they don't have access to clean drinking water. And this organization goes out and either plans what's called a sand dam or a borehole well or something similar to help them get access to clean drinking water because they're either drinking extremely unsanitary water or they're walking miles and miles away to bring water back to their village. And that creates uh, discord on um, whether people that that keeps kids from going to school because they have to carry these buckets long distances and, and go get water rather than being educated. This absolutely changes people's lives in so many ways. Um, and I, I love being able to see exactly how you help and the outcome of of what occurs and you'd have the same opportunity. And you get an email or every time there are little updates about the community. So you can see the progress of the good that you've done by simply giving a few of of your dollars um, to to contribute to that. And I don't I don't think there's many better causes out there in the world than helping people get water. So thank you for hearing me out on that. Without further ado, Lance Cottrell, thank you so much for being here today. Let's dive right in. Welcome to Vision Pros.
1: Thanks so much. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, Absolutely, man. So, um, you know, Lance, there's there's so many things that we could dive into with your years of experience the the first place we'll start is kind of simple, but super pointed. Who should be listening
1: today? Why should they listen to you? And what are they going to get out of today's show? So who should be listening? I really am focused on early stage founders. So the content that I create, a lot of the work that I do now is oriented around helping them be more successful. So we're talking from idea stage through, uh, you know, Pre-seed or seed, maybe as late as A, but I really like to work at that stage where the company's in this formative process, uh, and you know they should talk to me probably for two reasons. One is I've been there; I've had a very successful startup, uh, went through a pivot. I've done B two B and B two C in that uh, context. And then after that, I became an angel investor and I'm now on the board of directors of the North Bay Angels. I run our selection committee. So I see huge numbers of startups come through and I've developed a very refined insights into what makes them successful, uh, both as companies and what makes them successful at fundraising. And uh, I've also parlayed that into being a global entrepreneur in residence at the Founder Institute. So kind of my whole life revolves around startups. Nice. That's awesome. So you said early stage, which is not necessarily
0: 18-year-old founders. Uh, these could be founders that are also 48, 58, 68 that are getting their feet wet for the first time with the process of starting a company. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. In fact, I found many of my favorite founders are ones that have been in industry for, you know, some significant chunk of a career, partly because they really understand the market they understand the problems they have deep insight into the customers that they're trying to uh, support and address in most cases and you know that's a whole different world than someone who's just come out of an entrepreneurship program just graduated college and they want to do a startup but there's often much less understanding of the why around what they're doing
0: i love that and i've, I've seen that myself as well um the the you can't replace the experience that comes from being able to be exposed to the pain, the the nuisances, the problems that exist in the market that that only come from being in the market for five to ten years first. Um, not to discredit the young bucks that that do have intuition come their way. So, Lance, um, right. intuition and energy oh and the energy, <laughs> right? That's true too. That is super true with the young ones. You got you got a lot of energy that I can't compete with these days anymore, um, even at, at just thirty five. Um, so I can only imagine Well, I feel like at, at 55. Um, so, all right, there was, um, oh, you mentioned your your success. Let's quantify that a little bit. So the success of your first company, what does that look like? What are the details?
1: So uh, it ended up running for 13 years. and And I have to say, when I started the company, I had zero clue what I was doing. But I was mm-hmm. passionate about privacy. I'd been building privacy tools in the open source community for some time while I was doing my PhD in astrophysics and decided that that's really where my passion was. So in 1995, I put the PhD on permanent hold and created anonymizer, which was a consumer privacy company. And we grew that to probably a million active users, hundred thousand paying subscribers. Uh, we survived to the 2000, you know, dot com collapse. Uh, and then after that, actually, Uh, Today's the anniversary, 9-11 happened, and it really got us thinking about how we could contribute in a more substantive way. And we ended up uh, discovering that the government had a need for privacy and anonymity. They they needed to be able to go after bad guys and not be uh, identified for obvious reasons. I I would have assumed this was a solved problem, but it turns out that they really didn't have good solutions for it. Uh, And so we started building tools for them, and within three years, that was... 95% of our revenue, we were on this crazy hockey stick going up uh, and then we eventually sold the company a couple of years later in 2008, largely because I didn't know that customer. right? I didn't come from that in, you know DOD uh, intelligence community, national security community kind of background. Uh, so I didn't have the access and I didn't have the insight that I needed. And I figured the best way to be to maximize the potential success was to po- pair up with a company that did that. Yeah, that makes sense. That's really neat. So you took a, a strategic pivot
0: because of your own weaknesses that you were able to to be self-aware enough about um, and uh, also probably to align further with your passions um, is, is kind of what it sounds like. Um, don't let me feed you words. So you can. Portion.
1: No, I mean absolutely. It was. It was a passion. It, it felt like it was a way of doing something that was going to have an impact on the world. But it's also an example of one of those sort of wild coincidence opportunities. Uh, the way oh, yeah. we we ended up doing the pivot was we were being subpoenaed by the local FBI cybercrime group, uh, and we did consumer privacy. That was not a rare occurrence, but. This time, it occurred to us to actually ask them how they addressed this issue. And they sort of admitted that, well, you know, largely we think people aren't watching that closely, but if we think someone's gonna like, see that we've got an FBI IP address, we'll use the Starbucks down the street. And I said, wait, 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 we gotta talk. And wow. they actually became our first customer in the government and really opened the floodgates for us.
0: Oh, nice, okay. Was this a six-figure exit, seven-figure, eight-figure, or not, not possible to reveal?
1: I uh, can't, can't share that publicly.
0: Okay, that's fair. Um, very good. Then, go ahead. I've got a I've got a big
1: house and a vineyard in wine country.
0: Okay, well, <laughs> that's, a, that's a decent way to quantify it. Thank you for that. Um, and you don't rent it for for the sake of the the videos, uh, uh, right? Okay. <laughs> all right. And so. I,
1: and I, and when I do this advising, I do it all for equity because I'm not particularly concerned about cash flow.
0: Right. What does let's see here. So what does uh, passion for privacy look like? One thing that came to mind was was a a tin hat, um, you know, and and hiding in a closet. But I have a feeling there's a there's a different angle to this. So um, what does that look like to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I really became aware of of the as the Internet was exploding. And remember, this was early on. You know, I was building privacy tools in 93. And I think the World Wide Web was invented in 92. And of course the internet had been around for a while, but it became immediately obvious just how much data was being collected on people by large corporations, by governments. Uh, and so the thought was, how do you allow people to take some control of that back on a personal level? And so we ended up doing, uh, working with human rights groups. We did some big projects uh, to, uh, to censorship circumvention uh, and allow anyone to use the internet freely from within China, within Iran. Uh, bypassing all of their sort of oversight systems and then of course with the government uh, allowing them to be able to go out and do the things they needed to do to keep us safe. Uh, I I remember I was talking to one customer and said why what is driving you to buy the solution what what do you need and this was a covert communications platform so people could do undercover chat from this country and he said well we have a bunch of people in this hot sandy country and one of them turned out to be unreliable, tipped off the bad guys, and all of you know the other dozen people who were working with us ended up minus their heads in a ditch. And we don't want that to happen again. And you're like, okay, that's a pain point. And you can get up in the morning every day trying to address that kind of thing. Right, absolutely. Now, you
0: seem like too nice of a guy and and too positive, too happy of a guy to be in this space. And here's what I mean by that. When we look at documentaries or we look at People who are into privacy, I mean, there's so much fear that is talked about, expressed, utilized in this, you know, you know, not not only like uh, big governments taking, you know, all all your data and, you know, hate Mark Zuckerberg and let's get our pitchforks and and, you know, torches and go just complain about it. I guess that's the today's world um, view of, of how to do some but so how do you balance that You you got this demeanor that says you're a really nice guy and I could just have lunch with you and talk about cool things in life. Um, but you're also involved in a in an industry that is so tightly guarded and, and angry. Um, maybe that's not fair, but that's what I see.
1: I mean, certainly there are some people and there. There are definitely a lot of extremists out there. You know, for me, I'm very pragmatic about privacy. I think that uh, people don't have a lot of control over their information, and there certainly are people trying to spy on you. But at the same time, we want the benefits of being able to engage in these things. Like, I always think it's fascinating when people say, I want privacy on Facebook. I'm like... I don't even know what those words mean in that combination, mm-hmm. right? Uh, y- you want to be able to share all the personal details of your life without them being accessible to other people. Um, <laughs> so it is is—it is a funny thing. And I, I try to really focus on what are the things that I care about protecting? Because if you're trying yeah. to protect everything, you're effectively protecting nothing. So be very specific. Know what it is that you're trying to guard and guard that carefully and then relax, you know, I'm not worried about Facebook because I don't post things that I'm worried about on Facebook.
0: Yes, I love that. And you're right, that is very much a uh, a mindset of uh, I would say if you haven't thought through, um, you know, what it is that you should be protecting in life and shouldn't be, um, you know, and you can actually be scared of everything if, you, if you'd like to be, but that doesn't necessarily help you live life. So in 30 seconds, what's your vision for? The, those of you, sir, what's your vision for these early stage
1: entrepreneurs? So, Really, I want to help them climb the vertical learning curve because the, there is nothing that prepares you to be a founder uh, except having been a founder before. Right. You've got to know everything on every topic. It's It's an utterly unrealistic expectation. And so I'm trying to provide both sort of educational materials, but also sort of direct feedback to help people get up to speed really quickly, discover the things that are their blind spots, learn how to compensate for those things so that they can then build a successful business. Because if they're just floundering around, they're not going to get to where they're trying to go. Mm.
0: Yes. And there's so much depth of truth to all of that. So how accessible are you to these uh, early stage founders, Lance? You, you're accessible to me. You came on my show, so I appreciate that.
1: For sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm, it's pretty easy to get a hold of me. Uh, all the content that I've created is free. It's all up at feeltheboot.com. And the name came from some of the people I was advising spontaneously began referring to me as The Boot. And I decided to lean into that. Uh, but feeltheboot.com has all these articles on all aspects of uh, the startup process. It's also a YouTube channel, so it's all, all available there as videos as well. Uh, through that, I do office hours. So I've got free office hours. Anyone who's interested and signs up for my newsletter uh, can get on my calendar to get a 15-minute session. I also offer paid advising for people who need longer chunks of time or, or want to get on sooner because the free stuff does tend to book up. Uh, I take on some clients as formal advisees, but not so many. And then I also do advising through uh, Founder Institute, which is uh, an accelerator program. And there I work with cohorts uh, in in a number of different cities, primarily San Diego, uh, San Francisco, um, Toronto, London, and Tunisia. Oh, cool. Awesome. That's fun. So, yeah, Tunisia is an interesting one, right? The kind I of businesses and the kind of problems that they have are very different than the kinds of problems that you see coming out of, say, London or Silicon Valley. Uh, and so it's, it uh, you know, stretches your brain a little bit to try to help them navigate their unique kinds of issues. Absolutely. What are, what are so a couple of those examples? So I mean, one of the first is that a large fraction of the population is fundamentally unbanked. So, a lot of the sort of payment mechanisms that you might assume you have access to don't exist there. You know, there's a lot of issues with corruption. There's uh, uh, societal expectations. Um, You know, if you're trying to do fintech, uh, there's both problems and opportunities because in most Islamic countries, you can't borrow or lend money. Mm. But yet, people still need financing for things. And so you've got to go about things in other kinds of ways. Uh, so it really does raise a lot of wow. interesting, interesting problems.
0: Interesting. Uh, Thomas Friedman wrote a book a long time ago called The World is Flat. Um, and it's one I really enjoyed reading during my college years. And it talked about how all these countries are starting to kind of arrive at the same level. Um, you know, and I love the vision. I love the dream. But I mean, you brought up something critical right there it's not even close to, to level in many of these countries. Uh, they, they have so, so
1: far to go. Yeah, no, they're coming up fast and, and often hugely disparate, right? So there's there is an upper class in most of these countries that does have access. They've got great internet, they've got access to all of these things. And then there's the, you know, 95% of the population, which is, you know, in the Iron Age, in some cases, and you know they got a long ways to go to to try to get access to these capabilities. Uh, but it's funny how they're leapfrogging whole technologies. Like they're not yeah. going to put in cable systems or or telephones to every house, but everyone does have a cell phone, and so mm-hmm. they're now suddenly getting access to all sorts of things, bypassing whole stages that we spent decades going through. Right, absolutely,
0: um, and it's it's interesting because I don't I don't think without Help from people like yourselves, um, you know, they would they would have as much propensity to to magnify the opportunity, right? That's the whole point of having somebody come in who's been there and done that with the technology that has those decades of experience, bridging the gaps that you just don't
1: necessarily see or understand by yourself. Um, so for sure, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of them yeah, here in America, you at least see entrepreneurs around. We're sort of aware of it. It's kind of in the water a little bit, but in a lot of these places, yeah, it it. it it, it takes a, a pretty exceptional person to even sort of conceive of this as something that they could go pursue and then go in that direction.
0: That's also what my South American counterparts, um, concluded when I started our group to help, uh, Latin Americans get involved in Fiverr, Upwork, etc. Um, one of my, my great and smartest friends, uh, from down there said, Jackson, we grow up, we don't grow up learning about entrepreneurship. You guys grow up making lemonade stands, um, you know, and like learning about, how to become entrepreneurs. Um, and we, we don't have any concept of that down here. We were never taught to think that way from the get-go. So this is completely foreign territory for us um, as, a, as a collective whole. And I was like, wow, that is really helpful insight for somebody who's trying to go and make changes in societies that don't necessarily have access to some of that. I'm gonna switch gears though, back to you, early stage entrepreneurs uh, might get a kick out of this one. So uh, Lance, what's your worst business experience ever?
1: I have a, an embarrassingly large number to choose from here, uh, <laughs> but I actually did a whole episode of my of my uh, podcast on my kind of worst day as a founder. What's your podcast?
0: I need to know. Uh, this. So
1: feel the boot. Feel the boot. Oh, feel podcast. the boot podcast. Makes yeah. sense
0: oh all right i'm gonna go back i'm gonna interrupt you so the boot you got called the boot is this about bootstrapping or is there some other reference that i'm or is this bootstrapping? I, I, I
1: think uh it was a, a motivational kick in the ass is what it was
0: oh there it is good <laughs> i like that we need more we need more of that in the
1: world. that's right go no ahead. it's a it's a boot of love but uh i don't know i yes. had, had fun with that it and it's 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 unique you know it's not the same the same kind of Business-oriented titles you see on so many of these kind of incubators or startups or advisories.
0: My first, uh, my first assistant, who's one of my best friends to this day, called me the steel bat. So <laughs> I think the boot would have been better. Um, better, <laughs> but I did have to learn to, to tone it down a little bit. So over a lot of it. All right. So your worst business experience?
1: Yeah. So uh, this was in 2000, uh, as we were going into the teeth of the dot-com collapse and. Uh, but we had, we were in a good spot. We had an angel investor who was about to write a million and a half dollar check, uh, uh into the company. And we had an offer to acquire the company from a bigger security company, uh, at, you know, uh, was it like 12 million. It was pretty modest, but we were really over a barrel at that point, uh, and, and hemorrhaging a fair amount of, uh, cash, but we're like, okay, we have investment and we have this deal. Over the course of a couple of weeks, uh, as the, the economy started to tank, the angel pulled out and he was gone. Got no investment from him. No one else was investing at this point. So money coming in was not an option. And while we were negotiating with the acquirer, their stock price went from $30 a share to $3 a share. And this was going to be an all stock deal. So suddenly this was turning into being you know, a fairly substantial fraction of their net worth and their company size. So they, that didn't make sense for them. They pulled out and I think we had, I don't know, four, six weeks of working capital in the bank, basically a, a six week runway. And we buckled down and rode out 18 months with never more than six weeks of capital in the bank. Before we were able to really get things right size, start right. getting some investment, grow the company some more, uh, and then you know accelerated out of that trench. But that was that was a a rough year and a half. Oh, and the week that that deal fell through and the the acquirer pulled out, my father in law died. Oh man! So that was that was a <laughs> <laughs> That was a rough time. So. You know, and, and, and I must have had at least 10 times when the company was just within a whisker of total annihilation and we were able to, you know, just grit, strong fingernails, hold on and whatever we needed to do to. You know struggle through we sort of at some point started calling it the cockroach strategy because you know after the nuclear annihilation the cockroaches will still be walking around <laughs>
0: Jeez, yes so what are some of the things you guys did
1: to hang on for dear life um, so we we laid off some people right we downsized uh mm-hmm. and we just became utterly laser focused on immediate returns right we did not spend a penny that could not generate you know, a multiple return on like a 30-day time horizon. So everything just narrowed down to like you're looking through a straw. You cannot be distracted. You can't think about any kind of long-term strategic things. You just have to be there the next day. Then, eventually, you'll be able to do the strategic things, you know, once that once that starts to open up. Hmm. Um, you know, we, we, you, you discover that there's efficiencies you didn't think you had, you know, hmm. when, when suddenly everything depends on it. Uh, you discover the kinds of things that you can eliminate or save money on or, or, or tighten down. You know, we'd, we'd be almost out of money. And you're like, you know, I wonder if we could send out a renewal notice to people two weeks earlier. OK, boom, there's another, you know, $20,000 in the bank. That'll give us another week to go. You know, you just had to get insanely scrappy around these things. Yeah. Uh, and, and it also sort of gave me a very relaxed worldview about things you know people will be in a panic about some situation in their business and like no no this is not a crisis i've seen crisis this is not a crisis relax we'll just you know unpack this and work out what the next steps are
0: that's that's a powerful mindset um that every entrepreneur benefits from understanding how to go through um you know a lot of us didn't grow up close enough to the depression era to get that um you know to get that mindset inherited i i was fortunate my my parents inherited that pretty strongly from my grandparents. Um, and then there's Pearl Harbor, there's a scene in the in the movie, Pearl Harbor, where they have to fly the planes um, across to I believe it is Japan. And these planes were not designed to make that flight. And so they're stripping down the plane everything they can, they get it down, stripped down, they're still not even close to where they're going to make it. And so they start taking out the seats, um, you know, and the, the buckles, like every, everything that you could possibly imagine. Um, They had stripped down and they're now stripping out more. They're basically destroying the aircraft in order to be able to complete this mission. Um, And it reminds me a lot of, again, what you have to do during scrappy times during startups.
1: Yeah, right. Things that you would, under normal conditions, never consider. Like, no, these are essential things suddenly become not essential anymore. (sighs) Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I was holding board of directors meetings at a, a, a local bar because they had free food at happy hour. So yeah. uh, <laughs> cool. That's a good find. <clears throat> Cause, absolutely. Cause that couple hundred bucks of food was, was not meaningless to us at that point.
0: Right. Exactly. Nice, man. I love that. Um, so, so let's talk about the best experience in business. What's your best experience in business so far?
1: You know, I I think it was probably one of my one of my favorite ones was getting to do that project. Uh, it was actually a contract of the Voice of America to do the censorship circumvention into China and Iran, right? And and being in a position to help a hundred thousand people, roughly, in each country. Uh, get free access to information and, and free expression and all of that sort of thing. You know, that was incredibly rewarding. And the feedback from customers, I think, as well. You know, knowing that wow. you've, you're doing things that are having meaningful impact on lives. It's not, you know, some, some new, new widget or something like that. It's, it's life-changing for the people who are using it. And that, that was hugely rewarding. That's amazing. Oh, that's awesome. That might
0: that might steer you in this question or you might decide to shake it up. Um, so what what's another powerful that le- you've already shared many, um, but this is one of my favorite questions to keep diving into. I'm glad we have the time. What's another powerful lesson these visionary early stage entrepreneurs can learn from your your experience, Lance?
1: I think. Probably two. One is keeping an open enough mind to get luck, right? Luck is sort of something that happens when you are ready for it and you're keeping your eyes open. So it's really easy to get too laser focused in on exactly what you're doing. And then opportunity walks in the door and you didn't even see it, right? You didn't recognize it. And that kind of goes back to that that situation where we were you know, converting the, uh, the, the people subpoenaing us. And we had other sort of situations like that. And I think that also ties to what I call sort of strong convictions loosely held. I think that's the key to a lot of startups is the odds of you being right about your initial business model and the first direction you're going aren't good, right? Statistically, most successful companies have had major pivots, often several of them. But at the same time, you can't always be looking for the greener grass on the other side, it might not be. So there's this kind of Goldilocks zone where you need to be totally committed to what you're doing, and ready to abandon that and move in a diff- different direction when there's sufficient evidence to show that's the uh, the the right move to make, um, and you know because yes. it's just so easy to get so locked into the plan you had, and uh, was Eisenhower said, uh, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Ah. Yes, oh man, both both
0: super far- powerful. So, and and I see it a lot um, in especially in the space that, that we serve. Um, so your your background with early stage startups and entrepreneurs, they are. I by the way, so my one of my first companies was a SaaS company, um, as was my second. And the mentality of those companies versus the ones I typically work with these days is very different, very different attitudes. Um, you know, I work with mostly coaches and influencers and the creator economy. And these individuals, they get into it more so for the desire to impact um, on an extreme level, like a coach, for instance. They don't normally get into coaching because they want to make a bunch of money. They get into yeah. coaching because they want to make an extreme impact on the world. They want to they have this legacy of helping others And then they start to understand that, oh, man, I need a business strategy to survive. Um, And the uh, the entrepreneurs, the startups, um, you know, the ones that are, you know, following the um, uh, Jeff Bezos, the Steve Jobs of the world, you know, that's kind of their their hero persona per se, or the Elon Musk's. uh, They're kind of going into this, hey, I I have a business idea in mind. I have something that I want to invent and create, and I know it's going to be successful. And. I better learn about business as much as possible in order to create this. They're very different ways of looking at at how you shape reality, move forward. Um, So both of them, I would say, have a different unique challenge of playing with luck and missing the opportunity in front of them. Um, Right. So I'm glad you bring it up because I'm, I'm internalized for myself as much as for anybody else. But um, in, in the coaching cases they're not used to business people approaching them they don't know how to deal with it they, they mm-hmm. don't know how to think through it they they see somebody presenting a case study hey here's how we can help you grow as somebody who's coming after them um you know ready to shark and eat them alive um and they then end up turning their nose up to it rather than understanding how to build a strong filter around recognizing the difference between jackson callum as a startup advisor, Lance. Cottrell as a startup advisor and Grant Cardone, um, you know, like they, they don't know how to, to assess the three difference or your, your giant venture capitalists um, that uh, may not have their best interests at heart um, or may depends on which, which venture capitalists. But how would you how would you go about then breaking that down further rather than just looking at it from the good luck event, but saying, OK, if you've got an advisor coming in to talk to you about your growth, what are some of the core strength aspects you'd look at? And what are some of the red flags that they should also consider saying, whoa, that's, that's, that's something that's kind of on the scary
1: side that they might not recognize on their own? I, I think business model is often one of the biggest red flags, right? You know, how, how aligned are your interests with the people you're working with? You know I see, for example, um, a lot of cases where people say, "Well, I will help you do fundraising, and so if you pay me fifty thousand dollars, I'll help you raise a million dollars. Is that refundable? No, right <laughs> uh, and so how do you, why can you trust this um I'm, I'm always telling people to, to do reference checks on all of these people, right? Talk to some other people that they've helped and really dig in to see, has this been successful? What are these people able to, to bring forward? Uh, are they sharing information freely? Like my approach to establishing my credibility and credentials as an advisor is this mountain of free content that I put out as well as you know, free uh, advising office hours. Say like, come in, try the goods, Give me, you know, talk to me, see whether this is useful. If it's useful, I think it'll be obvious to both of us pretty quickly that this is useful. Then we can establish that relationship. But I'm not asking anyone to take it on faith. Nice that
0: that openness um, and and centeredness as a leader. I'll, I'll I'll also throw that in there, Lance. It it takes um, it takes a special type of person in the business world to that that has a a base of success to still remain open to the public. I commend you for that. Nice. Um, I, I don't see that a lot, um, you know. And and like I don't I don't think that Richard Branson's necessarily bullying anybody to move move forward in meetings with him, you know, or like saying you know Hey, I'm I'm unapproachable." Um, I think he's the extreme case where he's got so many millions of people coming his way that he's he's got to find ways to protect his time. Um, but at the same time. Um, you know, I, I, have a feeling he's, and it's Gary, I'm a, you know, who Gary Vaynerchuk is, you know? Who oh, yeah. Is? yeah. Um, like he's the type of guy, I think Richard Branson probably is too, that will spend some time with people on the street, um, right. Everyday folk and say, you know, Hey, let's engage on a real one-on-one basis. Now we can't do that with everybody. There's some luck that comes into being one of the people who's drawn out of that. But I think everybody is listening right now. I hope you stay aware there's people out there like that who will give you the time and you got to be ready to have that conversation when it happens. You don't want to miss the buck and miss that opportunity. So Lance, how do you go about uh, advising people on how to do the reference checks?
1: I mean, I think really it, it is don't be worried about that power dynamic. So when you've got an investor coming to you or when you've got an advisor or or some service provider I think it is not offensive to just directly say, hey, I, I want to understand what this relationship might look like. I want to understand what it's going to be like working with you. I know you're doing due diligence on me. I'd really like to be able to talk with some folks you've worked with in the past to understand, is this going to be a good fit? Right? Can we work together effectively? Uh, and if someone pushes back on that, that's a huge red flag, right? That 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 suggests to me that you probably want to run the other way or start doing a lot of googling to see whether you can find people saying uh, you know bad things about working with that individual. Uh, my experience is most people are more than open to uh, you know allowing you to to kind of have that access. Nice. You, know, so and... you were just talking about uh, Richard Branson, one of the companies I'm advising, uh, super early stage founder, but. Uh, just through opportunity and networking, ended up getting invited to one of the big gatherings on Branson's uh, private island for a week, and had you know made all sorts of amazing connections with the other people who were out there. Uh, but you know, made that effort to be in the network, to talk to people, to you know have create a situation in a space where those opportunities can can happen, and then recognizing and jumping when they do. That's awesome.
0: Um, that's really cool. I think that. Part of that, uh, everybody who's listening, has to do with mindset. Um, you know, you, As you open your mind to that reality existing, and you leverage the principle that Lance talked about, it might seem super simple, but I know there's so many people out there who, who don't see it this way. Um, especially if you come from like the MLM world, um, there's a lot of high-pressure tactics that, that make you feel like, man, this is your last shot. This is your only opportunity. Um, and if you've, been, if you've been involved in that community too much, it's important to uh, test this concept that Lance is talking about. Break free of that mentality and say, you know what? Red flag, I'm not touching it. Um, you know, red flag, I'm moving on. Some will, some won't, so what next? Which is also an MLM concept. But you've got plenty of leaders out there who are willing to take you under their wing. If you don't know Lance or you're not comfortable going to him yet, Um, I would advise you to check out the small, um, medium business uh, development centers and universities uh, because they have free access to coaching. But what I would do is I would go to them and I would go to Lance to get a get a different perspective of of how they both look at your business opportunities and situations, um, because one's going to come with a whole lot of university background and not necessarily the the expertise of having done it versus Lance, who's. Had the opportunity to be in the trenches for many years of running a startup. What's your thoughts on the
1: on the business development centers that are out there? I think they're great. I mean, you have the opportunity to do in person meetings, which is advantageous, and these people usually have a lot of experience. They're talking to a lot of startups, uh, so yeah, it's a it's a hugely valuable uh, asset. I think co working spaces often have an opportunity to network with other founders, sort of you know effectively creating a, mo- a mastermind that you can work with and learn from. You want to have a diversity of advisors because every advisor comes with their particular experience and skill set and biases, you know. And so I I try to be kind of take as much heat off the ball as I can when I'm giving advice, particularly if it's sort of not absolutely mainstream advice, uh, because, you know, it it might or might not work for you. You should talk to more people. You should get more, uh, you know, opinions because a lot of a lot of these things are you know, contentious, and you'll hear different kinds of advice. So talk to multiple people, get feedback. You know, and if uh, if you have a really strong opinion about something, and you talk to five advisors and they all tell you to do something different, that's the time to start embracing some humility and think about that. Uh, you yes. know, I, I talked about this uh, a while back in um, in context of power in a company, and someone was really worried about losing control and getting below 50% ownership. And I said, "Well, look, if you're bringing in a bunch of investors and you know there's a dozen people on your cap table, maybe, or more by the time you get below 51%, uh, that's not a magic number, right? The only way you lose a vote with 49% and a dozen people on the cap table is if 100% of them show up to vote and all vote against you. And if that's happening, yeah, probably should be listening, right? It's, right. They, it's highly likely they have a good point and, and you should be engaging with that. And I think that's just sort of universally true is, is always be open to questioning. Know, and, and founders, I think, can often get a little tunnel vision. But yeah, listen to your employees, yeah. listen to your advisors, listen to your customers. Always be open to the fact that you may be uh, running down the wrong track or getting it wrong and and be prepared to reevaluate that. Dude, that one clip right there is golden thank you I mean everything you've talked about but that that
0: particular concept uh, can protect so many founders against themselves and and our greatest strengths are often our greatest weaknesses so I love that
1: um, that's right because it takes a huge amount of ego to be a founder right inherently it's it's sort of a, an insane thing to do but at the same time yeah you want to be servant leader you want to really understand what you don't know and of course at the end of the day you you know, you're going to have to hire other people to do things who won't do it as well as you, because those are things that you can delegate. And there are so many things as a CEO that you can't delegate. You're literally the only person who can do it. That ends up being your whole job and everything else has to go to other people. And you kind of need to let them learn. Uh, right? You can't micromanage that. It doesn't scale.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I want to go back to one quote you said, because it's one that on the fringes, I think I understand it, but it would be one that's like, I I know this is a powerful quote that would help me as well as others to break down. You said strong convictions loosely held. What does that mean uh, from your perspective?
1: Yeah, so it does mean kind of utter commitment to the direction you're going. You know, we've decided this is our strategy, this is our target customer, this is the, the, the solution that we want to build to address the problem. And you need to have not only commitment from yourself all in in that direction without distraction and from your whole team, but at the same time, knowing that you might be wrong about that, right? As you're validating, as you're testing, as you are going to market, always kind of being aware that you may need to revisit that and at some point, drop that thing that you were, you know, had high conviction about and pick something new to absolutely commit to and run towards. And so that's the held loosely. You need to be able to sort of find that it's a, it's a bit of a paradoxical mind state, but to have the flexibility as well as the passion and focus. Yes, I love it. So uh, in terms of a
0: physical symbolism,
1: because I'm, I'm big
0: on symbolism, um, that would be like a pitcher, a baseball pitcher with the confidence to throw a fastball or a curveball, but you're going to hold that ball um, with a certain degree of care or a robot that's holding a massive container, fright container of delicate goods. You have to hold it confidently, but at the same time, you can't crush it like a tin can. Um, otherwise, you end up <clears throat> ruining the goods inside. The same is true with our dreams and our passions and our visions. Um, we got to have that care. Um, and that ability to pivot, but at the same time, the confidence that we're going to move this vision forward. So Lance, this was a massive, massive help to everybody who's listening. Thank you so much for being here. Vision Pros, we hope you took notes. We hope you go back and listen to some of these truths. We also hope you take the opportunity to reach out to Lance. Um, and uh, Lance, they can reach out to you on LinkedIn. Um, is there somewhere else that you also prefer to be
1: contacted? So LinkedIn is great. And uh, if you just go to feeltheboot.com, there's a contact page uh, right there and uh, I'm always happy to respond and answer questions.
0: Excellent, guys. Everybody have a phenomenal rest of your day and we will see you on the next show. Take care. Thank you for being here today. I'm really happy that you tuned in to Vision Pros Live. I'm looking forward to seeing your reactions as these episodes continue to move forward. This is going to get more and more fun. We'll have more and more engagement as well. We'll invite people to participate in the show. And thank you for giving us your time and attention. Have a an-